This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. In the studios today at Nebraska Christian Schools, we have Pastor Kelly Larson. Welcome to the program today, Kelly. Thank you, Gordon. Kelly, you are the senior pastor at Cornerstone Berean Church in Kearney, Nebraska. I'd like you to maybe share with our listeners a little bit about how that came about. I think that's fairly a recent transition for you and maybe some of the things that you're looking forward to in the church. Yeah, I was asked to come over to Cornerstone Berean a little over a year ago to help with some transitions that they were making. That actually came about through some mutual friends. Uh, we were in Grand Island at the time, and so God made it evident that we were uh, had a, a responsibility to go to Kearney, so moved my family over there. And in June, they asked me to, to come on permanently. There's been a lot of exciting things happening. We've seen the Lord moving in kind of reshaping a, a culture around the gospel, and that's uh, really the, the hope is we look ahead. Kearney just passed a bond. They're going to be building a high school, new high school, and it's going to be directly across the street from us. I mean, right their driveway is going to be coming into our driveway. And we look at this, it'll be completed and functional in three years. We look at it as an incredible opportunity for the gospel. Those families and kids uh, will be exposed to us just by virtue of seeing us there all of the time. But uh, from our perspective, what an opportunity to share and reach out to uh, not only those high school students, but their families. And then in addition to that, Kearney is home of UNK. UNK is an, a wonderful school, but uh, the, the really exciting thing there, much like Nebraska Christian, is the uh, presence of international students. Forty-five nations are represented on UNK's campus. And as I dream about our future in Kearney, I dream about how the Lord will allow us opportunity to share the gospel with people not only in other countries, but in countries that are closed to the gospel. And Lord willing, send those people back, much like he did in Acts, into those nations to go preach the gospel and, and build the church. Well, and you have another opportunity outside of the country. Tell our listeners a little bit about your trip to South Africa that's coming up. Yeah, actually, this upcoming Saturday, my wife and I are getting on an airplane out of Chicago to go to uh, Zambia, Africa. We'll, we'll spend two weeks at the International Bible College of Zambia. This is a, a college that is there to prepare young national Zambians as well as students from Malawi to be national pastors or uh, school administrators or orphanage directors, but ultimately to preach the gospel around not, in, not just Zambia and Malawi, but throughout Africa. And the, and the hope eventually is that these students would, would spread out through even into the northern countries that are primarily Muslim and share the gospel. Kelly, you came to us this morning and you, you shared about how the culture can kind of sweep people along as we go. Why is the idea of tolerance and the way that you use this passage this morning so important, especially to our young people who will soon be going off to college? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think, as you mentioned, our culture is a current, and we're all in one way or another caught up in it. And we need to be aware of what that, that culture is moving us toward. And, and probably one of the big cultural ideas today. In fact, it's really become an underlying value of our nation is this idea of tolerance and, and probably even beyond our nation, but Western civilization. And this tolerance idea is, is that we need to accept what other people believe and not, not just tolerate them in the sense of coexisting and being loving toward one another, but actually tolerating them in the sense of not being so arrogant 
as to suggest that what they believe might be wrong. But the gospel is a gospel without distinction. The message preached by Paul is the same message preached throughout all of the New Testament, and it is the same message preached throughout the world today. And that message is a message. There is no distinction among culture, among ethnicity, among socioeconomic backgrounds. But the gospel is the same, and it's a gospel of repentance based on Jesus and what he did and how we are to relate to God as a result of his character and and our fallen nature. And so if we compromise on this and we get caught up in the culture, what we're going to do is tolerate other people's false beliefs to their demise. With that, let's join Kelly with today's message. Now, I want to begin this morning by telling you a bit of what I'm going to accomplish. We're going to try to accomplish two things this morning. And the first, we're going to accomplish, I'm going to tell you why we're going to do it first, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. First, why? There is a, a cultural current that we're all in. And this current, it's like a raging river. And if you think about a raging river that has this very strong and powerful current, things get caught up in it. And you think of, if you've ever been in floodwaters where the, the waters are racing by, you'll see that those waters will carry with that current a great many things. In fact, even cars can get picked up and carried down this current. Have you seen that? Have you ever seen a, a log or a tree get caught up? We're caught up in a current, and the current is our culture, this world that we live in. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And why does he say that? Because we are all in a cultural current in which the world is conforming the way that we think. And the way that we think will govern the way we act and behave. If I think something, then that's going to end up resulting in what I do. And so we are in this cultural current, whether you like it or not. You just need to wake up. I need to wake up. We all need to wake up to the reality that we are in this cultural current. And that cultural current today is saying tolerance. It's saying that we need to put away our arrogant pride as Christians and we need to allow for the reality of other ways to God around the world. We deal with other cultures, we deal with other areas of thought and other thinking, and and we need to be more accommodating and accepting of those other ways of thinking. And so my first objective this morning is to show you from Scripture that there is no distinction. There is no distinction in the way that God deals with people, regardless of what culture, regardless of what heritage, what ethnicity, what social status. There is no distinction in the way that God addresses. And I'm doing that this morning because we are all at risk of getting caught up in this current and getting swept away into an idea that there is more than one way. And secondly, how many of you are familiar with the idea of being inoculated? How many have had a shot? Hopefully all of you, okay? We have been inoculated in many ways in our current culture. Many Americans in particular have been inoculated against the gospel. What I mean by that is this. The purpose of an inoculation, the purpose of a vaccine, is to inject you with a little bit of the virus, a little bit of the illness, so that then you won't actually get the full-blown thing. 
because your body will build up an immunity to it. And may I suggest that in our evangelical culture that we are giving just enough of the gospel in many cases to have people immune from the fullness of it. See, the gospel in the United States has become more about what I get out of it than about what the truth of it really is. It's more about a message of life improvement than it is about who God is and who I am and what the standards are. And so my objective, the second thing, is to help clarify what the gospel is for you this morning. And some of you may be thinking, well, Kelly, I have heard the gospel many times, and this is exactly my point. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. Hopefully this morning we're going to talk about it in a way that maybe will challenge you to think more deeply about what the gospel is. And as we do that, it'll help clarify why there is no distinction in God's plan. So let's get busy. Romans chapter 3, and I want to direct your attention primarily to verse 22. Now we're going to be looking at the surrounding context, but I want to direct your attention first to verse 22. We're picking up in the middle of one of Paul's wonderfully long sentences where he says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Why is there no distinction? Well, actually, Paul answers this question in the very next phrase, and I imagine many of you have this next phrase memorized. Because or for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what I want to point out to you first is that there is no distinction in God's standard for humankind. There is no distinction among people and people groups for the standard because ultimately his standard is his perfect character. God's standard is God. Now, did you see that in this text? He says there is no distinction because all sinned. That's a point-in-time idea there. You all sinned. But then he goes on and he says, and you are all currently falling short or missing the expected mark of what? What is it that we're falling short of? God's glory. Do you see that's the standard? That's the standard. God's glory is the standard. God is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And that's the standard. And we're all falling short of it. In fact, that's the definition of sin. And this is why it would be silly for a believer to say that you could get to a point where you stop sinning. Because to say that is to say that you've now risen to the level of God's holiness, God's glory. But we're all missing this mark. But the standard is his perfect character. Now, Jesus confirms this in Matthew 5:48 in the Sermon on the Mount. He has been taking the law and taking it to a higher level. He's been saying, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you that even if a man thinks of a woman in his mind so as to have a relationship with her, he's committed adultery with her already. He's taking the law and raising it to an even higher standard and saying, you thought this, but I say this. And then in the end of this, he concludes by saying, you must be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly Father is perfect. Now, well, wait a minute. Okay, time out. Stop right now because nobody can be perfect, right? But that's the standard. The standard is God's holy righteousness. What if I told you 
that when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, He's going to ask you, and you're going to be judged on perfection. And then anybody that's not perfect will not be admitted into the kingdom of heaven. What if I propose that to you this morning? And I said, if you're not perfect, if you've sinned in the slightest, when you stand at the gates, you will not be admitted. Will that say, whoa, wait a minute, Kelly. What about grace? What about what? We'll, we'll get there, okay? But we need to understand and we need to take a step back and say, the standard is God's glory. We've fallen short of this. And in that sense, there is no distinction because God is God no matter where we go. His perfect character doesn't change whether I'm on the continent of Africa, whether I'm on the continent of Australia, or whether I'm here in the United States. God's character doesn't change, and so the standard doesn't change. There is no distinction. And this is a key element of the gospel that we need to understand. We need to understand that our message to humanity, no matter where they are, is look at God, that's the standard, and you fall short, and so do I. And when we stand before the Lord one day, he's going to say, are you perfect like my heavenly Father? And if we are not, he won't let us in. I hope I piqued your interest because you're probably wondering, wait a minute, this sounds very wrong. Let's go on. Sin is what condemns us, not lack of faith. I think sometimes we want to say that when we get to heaven, what we're going to be judged on is whether or not I've believed in Jesus. We're going to get to why that's so critically important as to my salvation, but that's not what I'm going to be judged on. God's judgment is based on my sin. I stand condemned because I've sinned. If you understand this, it'll help solve a lot of problems when you start talking about why he's doing what he's doing around the world. You say, well, those people over there have never heard about Jesus. How can God condemn them? Well, the standard isn't whether they've heard about Jesus or not. The standard is that they've sinned against the holy God. The standard is God's righteousness, and they've fallen short, and they're under condemnation. You see, the gospel message must begin with what sounds like bad news. Because what I'm saying to you this morning is that nobody meets the standard. And Lord willing, at some point in your life, maybe it's already happened, but as you grow and and if you don't know the Lord, at some point I am praying for you that God will prick in your heart this awareness of that sin and pierce you and say, He's holy And I have fallen short and sinned against this incredible, indescribable God who is good and who's loving. And and, and I've fallen short of that. And to be pierced and to cry out like those Jews did on Pentecost Day and say, what must I do? What must I do? But there's no distinction in God's standard. It's the same for all. Turn to Romans 3.9. I want to just make this point that, that what condemns us is our sin and that there's no distinction in that. Paul says in verse 9, what then are we, and he's talking about himself as a Jew, are we Jews better than they, better than those others? Anybody else? Anybody that's not a Jew? Are we Jews better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And by under sin, what Paul means is he goes on to say, there are none who are righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek God. Altogether, we've turned aside. There's no distinction here. We are all under sin. And by under sin, what Paul is saying there is we are under the penalty of sin and we are under the power of sin. He goes on in chapter 6 to talk about being slaves of sin. 
And something has to be done to free us. Something has to be done to help us to achieve what God has intended. But we need to begin by understanding that there is no distinction in the standard. And if there's no distinction in the standard, there's no distinction in the message. But nor is there any distinction in God's provision. God doesn't distinguish in the provision that he made for us to answer this question of this bad news. You see, Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. Turn to Romans 3 now, and we're going to read down to verse 25. We're going to begin at verse 21. But now, we've given you the standard, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, let's stop there for just a second. Apart from the law. In other words, not because of the law that can you meet this righteousness, but God's righteousness has been demonstrated apart from the law. It's been witnessed to by the law. It's been witnessed to by the prophets. You can see what God is going to do there, but his righteousness is apart from it. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe because there is no distinction, because all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as, and here is that $50 word, because of that publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation is an atoning sacrifice. Propitiation is is a payment. Propitiation is it's simply Jesus paying the penalty for you. See, Jesus paid the penalty. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made right. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross and took upon himself, God made him sin who knew no sin on our behalf. And so let's come back to this idea of this one standard. We have sinned against God and what is accrued to me, Romans 6.23. You may know this verse. For the wages of sin is death. I had accrued for myself. If you think about a wage, anybody here have a job or had a job? So when you go, if, if at the end of doing that job, they say, thank you, what are you expecting? Aren't you expecting a paycheck? You're expecting your wage. We have accrued a paycheck because we have sinned against God. The paycheck that I have accrued for myself is death. And Jesus comes and he cancels that debt of mine on the cross when he takes upon himself my sin and your sin. When he takes that sin on himself, he pays the penalty for me. And I am forgiven. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That washing that takes place is because Jesus died on the cross and became sin on your behalf. His atonement is universal. But see, it needs to be more than this. Having been washed and cleansed, that is, that cleans us. But it doesn't make us perfect because we still go on sinning. What makes us perfect? How is it that when I stand before God at judgment and he looks at me and says, Kelly, 
You must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. You must rise to the standard of my glory. I need to see that perfection in you. Having been washed is absolutely essential because I need to have that sin cleansed, but I need something more. What is it? I need Jesus in me. I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to me. So that when I stand before the Lord, what he sees is Kelly Larson clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so what he sees is the perfect standard having been met. Why is it that Jesus had to to keep the law? Why did he come as a man and live that perfect life and fulfill the law? Even to the point of being baptized by John the Baptist. To fulfill all righteousness, he says. Because Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. We often think of just his death, but we forget that he also lived a life for you and for me. Jesus lives for you now. And not only did he cleanse you of your sin, but if you will put your faith in him, he gives you his righteousness and clothes you in Christ. I want you to turn over to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, or in other words, derived from the good things that I've done, derived from my ability to meet a standard, derived from going to church every Sunday, derived from going to confession, derived from taking communion, derived from doing any of the other things that many people think will achieve favor with God, not from those things, not from a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We have been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5 is all about the imputation or the crediting of righteousness to man because of Jesus. Jesus died. He lived. He died. And when we put our faith and we trust in him, he cleanses us of that sin and he makes us perfect by putting Christ in us and clothing us in Christ's righteousness. So now when I stand at the gates of heaven and, and you say, if you were to die today, somebody to ask you, Will you be saved? You say, well, I don't know. What's God's standard? We always say, if I put my faith in him, let's be just a bit more accurate. What's the standard? God's holiness and righteousness. Do you meet it? I don't, but Jesus does. And Jesus is in me. And I put my faith in him. And I'm counting on him. My trust is entirely in Jesus. What he did for me. And isn't this an amazing grace? Isn't this grace? Because what did I do for it? absolutely nothing. Jesus came and died when I wasn't even alive. You weren't even alive. And the scriptures tell us that it was while we were hostile to him, while we were enemies, while we were rebelling against him, that he died for me and for you. And when we put our faith in him, he gives me that righteousness, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did on that final day. And I stand before him. And this gives me the assurance of my salvation because now I can trust wholly, not in anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did. And this is what we mean when we say grace alone, faith alone. 
God's grace reaching out when we were in our sin and in our transgression by faith alone. And that gets us to the last point. There's no distinction in the response. So there's no distinction in the standard. There's no distinction in God's provision. And there's no distinction in the response. We must respond to this message, whether you're here in the United States or whether you're in Zambia, Africa, or whether you're in Great Britain, wherever you may be, you must respond the same way. What is that response? Peter gives it in his message in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent, he says, repent and be baptized. But in that sense of baptizing, it's make this confession that Jesus is Lord. Repent and put your faith in Jesus as Lord. What does it mean to repent? We talk about turning around. Actually, it's changing what I think. The, the, the word there is to, to change thinking. So maybe some of you here this morning, what I'm asking you to do, and if those of you who have already put your trust wholly in Jesus Christ for your salvation, what you're sharing with others is this. You need to change the way you're thinking about who God is. He's holy. He's righteous. And this is the standard. And you need to change the way you're thinking about who you are. We overvalue ourselves. We overthink about my goodness and look at me, how great I am. Stop thinking God's less and you're more. Instead, put God where he belongs in this absolute perfect holy standard and put you where you belong in a sinner in desperate need. So change the way you're thinking about God. Change the way you're thinking about yourself. Change the way you're thinking about Jesus. Jesus just isn't a great prophet He wasn't just a cool man who walked around and had some cool things to say. He wasn't just whatever, fill in the blank. Who was he? He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah, the righteous one. And he came and he died because that penalty needed to be paid and his righteousness needed to be given. Change the way you're thinking about Jesus and then change the way you respond to him. How do we respond? By coming under his authority as Lord. Lord, you're mine. I trust you. I want to identify with you. I want to be yours. I want to take your name. I want to to wear you on me like a... Imagine a cloak that you could put on and make you invisible. Jesus Christ is this cloak that we put on that changes who we are. And as a believer, when I respond to him, I say, I want to put him on. Put Jesus on me. And you see, if I understand this, if I understand that message, doesn't it change everything? Doesn't it change everything? If Jesus is truly my Lord, my master, my king, my, my all in all, he is my sufficiency, doesn't it change everything? It changes how I live my life every single day. And it changes how I treat the guy next to me or the gal next to me. Because in that, I recognize this. I was a sinner. I was falling short of this standard. I was hostile. I was messed up. I was, you name it, fill in the blanks. And you know what? That's what my roommate is like. But God loved me. And God gave me a gift. And because I have taken his name, I want to image forth, I want to show forth that same gospel to you and to you. And I want to love you. I'm going to love you because Jesus loved me. See see how the gospel changes everything? We need to take a step back. And the last thing I'm going to say is this. Stop thinking of what Jesus did as life improvement. Jesus didn't die for you so that you could have a better life. Jesus didn't die for you so that you could be happy so that you could have a great marriage someday down the road. Jesus didn't die for you so that you could have peace in your heart. Jesus died for you so that ultimately God would be glorified as his righteousness is made manifest to the world. He died for you to bring you back into communion with 
Him who is the ultimate good. He is the reason. And we come under that and say, yes, Lord, it's all about you. Yes, Lord, I've come to you, not because I want something. And you know what? He'll give you some of those things. All of these things will be added to you. But they're, they're secondary. They're secondary. You live your life because Jesus died for you, because he gave it for you. And you trust in him and you put him on. You put him on. If you've not put him on, then you need to. Because if you've not put him on, you're not meeting the standard and you're going to be condemned. You put him on. And you put him on by saying, I repent, Lord. I'm going to change the way I think. And I'm going to live for you. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Kelly Larson from Cornerstone Berean Church in Kearney, Nebraska. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Mm -hmm.